0: Thank you for joining us for this message today. If you're new to the church or want to connect in any way, check us out at harborcitychurch.org. We would love to connect with you. Thank you so much. And with that, let's jump into the message. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing summer. The weather has been incredible and uh, we just have been enjoying our time as well. Today we're starting a new series called Our New Normal, and this will be from the book of Ephesians. So to start off this morning, let me give you some reasons why this book uh, is so important, and this will be a little heady, but hopefully you'll put on your learning caps and uh, get a little history about this book of Ephesians. Uh, The book of Ephesians was actually a letter written to a small group of believers in the city of Ephesus around 58 to 62 AD. This church was actually started by a group of 12 men where Paul the Apostle uh, ended up in Ephesus, found these group of guys, led them to Christ, and uh, started a church. And uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul from a dungeon, actually, in Rome. The Holy, Holy Spirit protected it so you and I could sit here today in our homes uh, for me here in the church so we could still read it just like the believers did back in their homes uh, in that first century this small church was a now a couple years old trying to reach their city for christ they were trying to extend the kingdom of god as best they could so hopefully we can learn from paul uh, how he instructs this church to become a, a strong and healthy church to make a difference Uh, in its city, and in its region. Now, the purpose of this book is that God reveals his purpose for the church. Uh, The key word in this book is the word glory. And the church was revealed to bring glory to God through the earth, or in the earth, through Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians unfolds the process of how God does that. Now, this book is divided into two parts, and hopefully this will help you as you're reading through the book of Ephesians over the next number of weeks. You should have already read chapter one, and uh, next week, after you hear this sermon, start with chapter two, three, four, five, and six. But the first part is chapters one through three, and it tells uh, believers the position that they have in Christ, and how each believer has been given a spiritual blessing in that relationship. It deals with that teaching, and what we should, uh, how we should build on those beliefs. The first uh, part really deals with a believer's identity, which we'll deal with or talk about in just a moment. The second part is chapters four through six and reveals the believer's walk. And let me just say this. uh, You need to know your identity before you start delving into activity. And what happens to so many of us is we start getting into activity before we know our identity. And then we try to figure out who we are. In this section... Uh, First uh, chapters 4 through 6, Paul reveals what it means to walk in God's grace and how it it comes to our lives and how we should be dispensers of God's grace to where we live in our neighborhoods, uh, as a local church, and into our region and beyond. And how God's equipped us to do that. So, uh, there are three key messages in this book. Here they are. One is how God's grace comes to a people in a place, and he just shows up and pours out his salvation, forgiveness, and love on a group of people in a city. The next message of this book is preparation, which is actually in chapters five and six. It's about something that is being prepared. Uh, that entity, that valuable object is the bride of Christ, the church, and how we get to be part of it. Okay. Okay. Uh, I forgot the other one, didn't write it down, so there you go. Here we go. Now, before we read in the book here and and give you some verses, I want to tell you about the city of Ephesus because it reminds me a lot of Grace Harbor. And uh, now before I do that, let's just lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be. And I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life, so I can leave here changed, or stay here at home, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now hopefully you've been reading through the chapter one this last week, so let me give you some background of the city of Ephesus, so that will help you, because before you can understand context, you need to, or content, you need to understand context. So, First of all, it's a port city of about 300,000. It had ships coming and going almost every day. It had a great road system, a great river that ran uh, through it. And then that river ran into the ocean and it had a great harbor. It's the main port to Asia Minor, or it was at that time. So it affects all of Rome and uh, all of the bigger cities and bigger countries of that time. Uh, It is a merchant city which made it a global center for banking. It's a metropolis of refined culture. People wanted to move to this place because it had everything you could think of. It had theaters, dancing, uh, art, music, and sporting events. It was a tourist town with lots of things to see, lots of things to do, and people just like to go there to enjoy the ocean, somewhat like we're seeing today in our place. Ephesus has more writings about it than any other city in the New Testament, which include the book of Ephesians. Almost all the writings of John were written from Ephesus when he wrote most of his books. And also, 1st and 2 Timothy uh, was written by Paul to Timothy, who was the pastor of this great church. So, this city, above all the other cities in the New Testament, Ephesus gets the most attention and has the most writings. Also, this city was known as the great city of Artemis, or another, uh, a, another word for it was Diana. There were many temples and shrines made to her. Uh, they would have had gatherings throughout the city where they would shout, Great is Artemis or great is Diana. Uh, they had many sexual uh, worship type things going on there as well. These folks were proud to be Ephesians especially because of the great goddess there and uh, they would shout great is Artemis or great is Diana and great is uh, Ephesus. So they were known also for astrology and magic and they believed in the supernatural and had many people who participated in that type of worship. Uh, So you can see it's a very spiritual city as well. They had many gods, and uh, even though Diana was the chief goddess. <clears throat> I would say the city was a lot like Seattle, Tacoma, Portland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. You can read all about this city, if you want to know more about it, in Acts 18, at the very last of the chapter, and Acts 19, where a man, Demetrius, who was a craftsman of the idol, Uh, Diana stirred the people up against Paul and his companions because miracles were happening as they preached the name of Jesus to the people. What's amazing about this chapter is you find that sorcerers and witches were coming to know Christ as they preached in the name of Jesus, people were getting saved because of the name of Jesus, and people were getting healed, and demons were cast out just by material like handkerchiefs and cloths that Paul had touched and others of the disciples had touched, and miracles were happening all over the place. So much so that witches and warlocks and sorcerers brought their books of incantations to a public square where they had a fire there and threw in uh, their books and burned them that were worth thousands upon thousands of dollars. And how many know God does amazing things when you let God take over your life? And that's what these guys did. It wasn't popular to be a Christian. Obviously, Demetrius stirred up the city. And he begins to cause others to suffer for Christ. So he comes after Paul more than anything. But here's this church that just started. There are no temples for the church to worship in. There's temples for Diana. There's uh, temples for uh, Jewish synagogues. But no place for the Christians to worship. So guess where they, they worship? Just like you and I today, they worshiped in their homes. So they, they have a gathering place uh, uh, in their home. I, I hope this sounds familiar. That's why this book is so good. That's why we're calling this Our New Normal because it's not about where you meet or uh, what what the building's about. You need to remember wherever we go, that's where the church goes. So uh, what you will find as you read this book is that it's more about individual Christian practices and not about corporate gatherings like maybe first and second Corinthians would be. There's only a house to house church going on in the city for the first couple years. So this book is deeply profound for you and me because we're not meeting in a temple right now as well. We will be, hopefully. Mark your dates. Target date, September 13th. But until then, through the month of August, we're going to continue to meet in our homes. We are the church as we meet in houses today. We are the church as we meet in the parking lot next Sunday uh, at on August 9th at 11 a.m. So being a Christian in Ephesus was about individual practices. So the question is for you and I today, how are your individual practices as a Christian, as a believer, still taking place in your life? Whether you go to church in a building on Sunday, or whether you have church in your house or at a parking lot, are you still doing the individual practices that God calls us to do? Okay, now let's look at where Paul starts with this new group of believers as they're meeting in the home because as as they have a new normal So should we have a new normal? Here's the foundation of this church in verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Here's the first foundation that every one of us need for our new normal, and that's this. God wants to send his grace and peace to every believer to affect their city. Now, this first part is about God sending grace on a small group in a home who were just trying to, to figure out who God was. They weren't real knowledgeable. They didn't have the New Testament at this point. So Paul writes to them, grace And peace to you. Let me just say this today. You can't have peace in your heart until you receive God's grace in your life. Many people are looking for peace apart from God, but you can't find peace apart from God's grace. And there's nothing like God's grace in a believer's life. It's something you should be aware of every day of of your life. It it should give you the desire to want to please the Lord at all times, every day, because grace is causes you, uh, causes your life to grow, it causes you to be grateful, and it causes every local church to grow as well. So let me give you a definition of God's grace. Here's what it is. Now just remember, this is what he did for the city of Ephesus and what he wants to do for every one of us. Grace means it is a God, it is God meeting a man or woman, a city or region at their point of Of need. Coming to a person. Or place. To bring them aid. To help someone. When they cannot help themselves. To give them favor. When they uh, are unfavorable. How many have ever been there? And yet he gives us favor. In essence. Grace is God sending his son. Jesus Christ. To aid humanity. And in this case. The city of Ephesus. And in our case. The region of Grace Harbor and every city and town that occupies that region. I want us to see this morning that in the midst of a depraved Messed up city was a small group of people meeting in a home, hungry for more of God, which I hope you are today. Because the more I read this book, the more I read this chapter, I'm getting more hungry for God's grace. And he says, I see your hunger. And he sends grace and more grace to this people meeting in a home uh, for God's glory. So he sends Paul out of his grace and his companions to share about their savior Jesus Christ to a messed up spiritual city who is worshiping uh, the wrong God. People, uh, God uses Paul to tell the people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can read about this in Acts 19. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit, receive their prayer languages and begin to intercede for their city like never before. I'm telling you, God's looking for a group of people that are hungry for the Holy Spirit. Lord, baptize me, give me my spiritual language. I want more of you and they do. And as they do, the supernatural begins to break out all over the city, the miracles of healing, demon-possessed people, like I said earlier, are delivered, Delivered, and witches and war, warlocks are saved. So much so that they bring their books and say, you know what? As an act of worship to my God, I'm going to burn these books to let everybody know I'm never going back to my old life. So Paul, uh, oh, by the way, this city receives God, God's grace so much so that by, I think it was 20 years, 10 to 20 years into this church, probably 40,000 people were saved and serving God. Just think if we could see 40,000 people saved in Grace Harbor. That's over half of Grace Harbor coming to know Jesus Christ because some believers got hungry in a house, said, God, I want more of your grace. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your word and let me be bold and never shrink back. So Paul tells the believers to never stop receiving God's grace on their lives. This was to be their new normal. Now, Paul tells them in verse three this, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Then he lets the believers know, since you are a uh, a spiritual superstitious city that thinks it's very spiritual, let me help you understand the spiritual realm. And we all need to understand what you think you see in the natural is not what's really going on. There are spiritual things in the spiritual realm that you can't see. See, they believed in the myths. They believed in Zeus. They believed that Diana or Artemis was the daughter of Zeus. And they believed that there was a supernatural world overseeing their city. And I want you to know there is a supernatural world overseeing our city. His name is Jesus. He has all the angels of heaven. And there's also demonic power which I think have been uh, principalities uh, reside over nations just like Daniel prayed over the uh, principality of Persia we need to pray for our nation because I think Satan's having a heyday these days so when he mentioned spiritual realms he got everybody's attention that read this book so he's saying now anyone who reads this letter in this city he's he's grabbed their attention, uh, attention because he says spiritual realms So they believe in the invisible God. We believe in the invisible God. Only their God wasn't our God. So here's the second thing you can write down from verse three, and that's this. You and I were called, uh, not called to escape our situation. We are sent to invade our situation. He wants them to understand there's a lot of Christians who are praying just for Jesus to come and remove us from this mess. And I want you to know, if Christ is in you and you're the hope of glory you are never meant to be taken out of this you were meant to invade this situation I grew up with people that kept saying to me Jesus was coming at any moment and they couldn't wait to leave this planet and they were more concerned about Jesus coming about Jesus coming than they were about taking people to heaven with them I want you to say, hear this this morning you are here today because you are to invade grace harbor, and beyond to take as many people to heaven with you, plunder hell, and populate heaven. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, wait, you are already living in heavenly realms. I want you to know there's there's spiritual things going on. Christ Jesus lives in you and he's spiritual and you're spiritual and here's what he's saying. You're seated with Christ. If you read this whole chapter, he tells us we are seated with Christ christ which means this wherever you are christ is with you you bring heaven to earth so you and i need to see as believers that we were never meant to run from this place we were meant to bring heaven to earth Uh, as believers we need to know there are more people than ever right now needing to know jesus christ that there are people who are wanting to know, is there any hope in this situation? They're wanting to know, is there something more than just my selfish self to get what I want? And we're not called to escape this place. We're called to invade this place. So Paul wants these believers to know and understand and begin to practice that they, that, that they know that they're already blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul prays these verses. Look at these verses, 16 through 23. He says this, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Are you praying for the Church of Grace Harbor constantly? Are you praying for the church Uh, in our nation constantly? Are you praying for our nation or believers? He's saying, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called. His holy people Who are his rich and glorious inheritance. He's telling you, we are God's inheritance. He's our inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness. I want you to get this. I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Then he goes on to say this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, <clears throat> who fills all things everywhere <clears throat> with Himself. I'm gonna stop and take a drink. So, what He's saying here is that Christ in us, who fills us, then fills the whole earth with His glory wherever we go. He's praying these things for them as believers on this earth, not in the hereafter. He wants them to have a brand new identity. In the city that they're living in. A city that is filled with idolatry, witchcraft, sorcery, and supernatural signs from a demonic world. He wants it to be invaded with the presence of God wherever they go. He wants them to be bold in who Jesus is in their lives. And never cower to the unseen demonic powers they are fighting against. He wants them to know greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you and I are to bring heaven to earth. So as believers, we are seated with Christ in heaven, but we're living here. And those two realities must come together and become our new normal. We are not called to escape this place, but we are called to invade this earth and this harbor with every spiritual blessing that lives in us and through us in Jesus Christ. And as believers, you and I are ancient agents of hope. We are agents to bring the supernatural power of Jesus Christ from heaven to earth. Wherever you and I go, heaven goes with us because this Jesus, whom we gave our lives to, is in us and has blessed us with every spiritual blessing so we can bring heaven to Grace Harbor and beyond. So Paul wants them to know their identity. See, he's saying, listen, like I said earlier. Before you start trying to do all these things that you saw us doing, I I want you to know this. You need to know who you are. In fact, he's saying this. I want you to know, you're not an Ephesian anymore. You're a Christian. You're not one who worships Diana or Artemis anymore. You worship Jesus Christ. You are a believer in Christ Jesus. And as believers, you need to watch this. This is what he says and. uh in verse four, this is is our identity. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So as believers, we can never forget that we are Christians first. So the question I wanna ask you this morning is, who do you say you are? Not who did your mom and dad say you were, not who did your siblings say you were, and many of us identify ourselves, well, I'm a judge, I'm an attorney, I'm a pastor, I, I'm, a, I'm a baseball player, I'm a banker. No, that's not what he's saying. I want you to know, it's not what you do, it's who you are. And once you know whose you are, then you can do what you were created to do. I, I watched the opening uh, of a baseball game the other night and everyone was kneeling down to two flags. And as they were kneeling down, This one player stayed standing up. And I was amazed how he just kept standing there. And when asked afterwards why he stayed standing while his other fellow players knelt for their beliefs, he said, I want you to know I have nothing against my fellow players. I know that they're standing or kneeling for what they believe. But I feel as a Christian, I can't bow to anything or anyone but my Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you. That might offend you. But I think we're going to need some courage in these days ahead to only bow to Jesus Christ and not to the pressure of mankind. So this man knew his identity. He wasn't giving in to peer pressure, media pressure, or even job pressure. He knew who he was in Christ. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the book of Daniel, he couldn't bow down to an idol, to anyone or anything but his Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowing your identity is extremely crucial in these days and especially in any culture you live in. This has to become your new normal. If you're going to succeed as a believer and fulfill your destiny, you need to know what you believe, why you believe, and whom you believe it for. This belief system has to become your new normal. So, who does God say that you are? This is all we're going to get through in this Uh, message today, but hopefully you're going to begin to see who you are today in Christ. Here's who God says you are. My identity as a believer is this, I am loved. Verse 4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us. You need to know this, that even before you were born, even before you gave your life to Christ, you've been loved unconditionally. You were loved. It's not about what you did last night, or what you did last summer, or what you did yesterday, because God does not love you for your activity first, good or bad. What he does is love you because he made you just like any father would his kids. Do you believe that today? I hope so. Here's also what he says. Secondly, he says, I am chosen. Jesus told his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You need to know that today, before you accepted Jesus into your heart and into your life, God accepted or he already chose you to be on his team. He chose you to have a purpose and a destiny. Look at verse four again. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This verse is telling us that before you and I were born, you were chosen to be on his team. Before you ever messed up, he chose you. And then thirdly, he tells us this. He says about my identity, I am adopted into his family, verses five and six. Says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. So Paul speaks out about adoption because the Roman Empire understood adoption and so did the Jewish people. Now, let me just say how adoption usually worked. Usually, uh, adoption was done with a slave. And how many know we are slaves to sin? We're slaves and, and many slaves feel like an orphan. They have no legal family. They have have a fear of no protection. Who will defend me when times get tough? Who will be there to fight for me? An orphan has, has a fear of no provision. Uh, here's Where's my food? Where's my clothing coming from? Where's my shelter coming from? Who will take care of my needs? An orphan has a fear of abandonment. How long will I be in this place before maybe someone sells me to someone else? I must not be worth much if no one wants me or, or wants to take me into their family. They fear uh, uh, of having a place or family to never belong to. Orphans don't have much affirmation and they don't have much encouragement until, I want you to hear this, until God's grace shows up. Until all of a sudden one day God was thinking of you and he showed up in your life and he said, I'd like to bring you into my family. I'd like you to be part of me. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will help you discover your purpose and the reason i made you and what happens is the the first thing you can write down here is one's identity was changed in a day see three things have i i i know what happens to a lot of us that we get married and we say our identity should change but truthfully it takes a long time before your identity change and you become one in marriage but here's what happens with adoption immediately it served all legal rights or severed all legal rights and obligations with the old family and bound them to the new parent with legal rights and obligations. In other words, everything that was in my past is now gone and I have new legal rights and new obligation and a new family. Number two, the adopted child becomes an heir of their new father's estate. Even if here's what Jesus did for us. He is the son of God, but he invited us in to have an inheritance along with him into the heavenly realm. So the father says, what I've given to my son, I'm given to you. That's an amazing thing. We get part of the estate. And then number three, the old life of the adoptee was completely erased. So the adopted person was regarded by law as a brand new person. They were given legal papers that granted them Roman citizenship. And in that case, uh, if they were adopted by Romans, and uh, when that happened, with it came the privileges that citizens of other countries did not have. Now, when you receive God's grace, when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, God the Father looks at you and me as brand new people. There are different ways other people uh, in our lives look at us. People, some people don't want you to forget what you used to be, what you used to do, what you were known for, and they will ri- remind you of your past so they can feel better about their present. But I want you to know that's not who you are in Christ. And then uh, there, there is the perception uh, you have of yourself. Sometimes we can't forgive ourselves for the mistakes we've made. But I want you to know, God loves to take messes and he likes to take mistakes and make a message out of them. And even though some people can't forgive themselves, you need to see yourself in Christ because he will never hold your past against you. That's God's grace on your life. So quit beating yourself up. and. holding your past against you. And then there's God's perception, the way he sees you through his son, Jesus Christ, the way he sees us through the blood of Jesus. See, everything, uh, or every time the father looks at you and me, he sees you and me as a mirror. We were made to be mirrors, a reflection of Christ in us. And he sees the blood of Jesus on your heart and on your life, and, and so, every time he looks at you, he doesn't see the old you. He doesn't see the sinful you. He sees Jesus Christ, his son, on your life. Look at these verses again. Verses 18 through 20 and 23. He said, I pray that your hearts be, will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. God loves you. He's always loved you. You you are. Uh, you're called to be His inheritance in every way. And and then it says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. You've got to believe that you are, have a new identity in Christ. And then it says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And then verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Christ in you, is everything Grace Harbor needs to get through the COVID crisis, to get through the racism crisis. It's everything our nation needs, needs as well. It's Christians getting on their faces and saying, God, help me to see like that little small church did in Ephesus and get that same spirit in me. Let's just take a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you today, what is your identity? Who you are getting your identity from? Do you, do, you, do you believe what other people say about you? Or do you believe what Jesus says about you? Do you believe that you are God's rich inheritance? That your life has made such a difference for him? Do you believe that? Or is your identity still coming from your parents or your siblings or from your spouse or from others? You need to know this, though. To change your identity... You need to know Jesus Christ if you don't know Christ today or maybe at one time you did today's your day so I'm gonna ask you to just close your eyes bow your head in your house wherever you're at not don't bow your head and close your eyes if you're driving but if you're at home on your couch do that with me and here's what I want you to know as you give your life to Christ today he will make all things new he will renew your mind he'll renew your purpose and he'll show you why you're here and fill you with great things Say this prayer with me. You believe it in your heart. You confess it with your mouth. And Jesus, by faith, becomes your Savior. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your Son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, and all my failures come into my life and be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, please let us know there's There's a way to communicate right there online and just let us know you gave your life to Christ. You'll get some more instructions here in just a moment. And uh, let me just say this. Welcome to your new normal in Jesus Christ as believers at Harbor City Church and as a believer wherever you go to church. Also, let me uh, ask you to do this. Please read chapter two next week and be ready for the word. It'll help make a difference for you. And then let me just say this. We'll see you at the parking lot at 11 a.m. August 9th next Sunday at the South Shore Mall. God bless you guys. Hopefully I'll see you next week. By the way, I, I me- meant to mention this and I forgot. Uh, I will not be in the pulpit for the next four weeks, but we got some great speakers ahead. I'm going to get my second knee replaced uh, this Tuesday. So please keep me in your prayers. But next week, Tracy Ford will bring in chapter two. Then Cameron Left will bring in chapter three. Jimmy will bring in chapter four, along with Pastor Frank DiMaggio. And then chapter five will be given by Dan Gebhardt. So it's going to be a great month this August, and I'm sure I'll be seeing you uh, there as well. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. We have a lot of great resources for you over at HarborCityChurch.org. Come check us out, and I hope you have an awesome week.